ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Evening Jones. Uh, anyway, wow, got some energy going on over here in the chat room. Almost got me afraid that y'all's like, you know, bots and trolls. It's like it's all set up, but whatever. I'm also looking up at myself in the video as I do this, and I look like I'm either about to rob somebody or give a motivational speech. Like I had the hood on before. I'm like, yeah, one of the two, right? I'm either going to fix your life or I'm going to fuck it up. There ain't really no in between. Um, so the other day in Harlem, it was a little something called African-American Day. I didn't know about African-American Day, but it was African-American Day, and there's like an African-American Day parade. Now, I've told you guys many times that I understand what it is that people say about Harlem and how Harlem is now going to the white people. And that is probably the case with some of Harlem. But around my way, it feels like African-American Day. Every time I go outside, anytime I go to the CVS, you know what I'm saying? Waiting on the train to come. It's, it's African-American Day, right? But apparently there's more of a like uh, formalized celebration they engage in. African-American day and it was Sunday. So like I was on football duty, so I ain't really like so much indulge in it, but I have to say something, man, the t-shirts and the slogans on them for African-American day were quite a lot. Um, and like, they ain't even like, sometimes they like kind of clever, but not really clever, but they all got a message. And one thing that, uh, our African-American brothers and sisters seem to really, really frown upon if T-shirts or any representation is jealousy. Jealousy. Dude, Chad Roo said the poster behind you is very fitting for this topic. Hell, you mean poster. Anyway, um, so like I walk up on this woman. I ain't walk up on her because, you know, on African-American Day, walking up on somebody could be a very hazardous uh, situation. But I saw her as I was crossing the street. And her T-shirt said, let me remember this right. Jealousy is a terrible disease. And then underneath it, it said, get well soon. Lady, you don't even know me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just making me a hater? Like, like is, it, is the assumption here that every single person that you encounter in the street is a hater? Are you serious? Yeah, man. And I don't know like who the person was that was like, yo, I got it. I'm going to put it on a shirt and this thing going to rock. And I find that the farther you go uptown, the more you see that shirt. Like you start getting to like, like, like you, you, you get to the like, yeah, as you go like farther up, like if you start all the way down at 110, 110 a little bit treacherous, right? But if you start at 110 and you get up to 116, okay. You get to 125, I mean, not only are these shirts on, on bodies, they are certainly on tables. Because let me tell you what's going on at 125th Street. Somebody got something for sale. Don't matter the day, don't matter the time, don't matter the weather, don't matter nothing. Somebody on 125th Street got something on sale. Outdoors, indoors, don't matter. Don't matter what block, somebody got something to sell you on 125th Street. But keep going up. Now you're going to see them shirts in action. 
You know what I'm saying? Like not 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 everybody to be out there. You get a couple, you get a couple more of them. It appears from what I can tell and what I've seen, Pioneer Spirit. It it got like to it somehow got to Washington Heights more so than it'll get you to like 137. At least from what I can see. I could be mistaken. Or I guess it depends on what side you are. Anyway, yeah, jealousy is a terrible disease. Come on, lady. Like, like, don't just be telling me what I am. You know, it can't be that. Anyway. Oh, I also saw something else that day. It's actually kind of funny. So I'm walking down the street and I see this dude. And I don't know why, like, but like the last week or two, um, I don't know. There's seen a lot of people that uh, the most kind way I can put it right now in this setting is some people who have gone through some things. I really don't know what the appropriate way it is to refer to situations like these or the people in the situation like these, but I can tell you what the situation is. You can do what you want with it. So I'm walking down the street and this dude is like banging on the window. Like a window of a store, right? He's just banging on the window and I ain't paying so much attention, but he has something in his hand and this other dude's walking down the street. He on the phone and he was like, yo, he got the pipe right in his hand. And just so you know, um, that wasn't the hand that he was banging on the window with. Just so you know. Anyway, allow me to move on to your questions. Takashi 69 is telling all on the stand this week. Have you been keeping up with his testimony? I saw a little bit of his testimony. I really couldn't get so deep into his testimony. And the reason for that is I don't know who any of these people are. Right. So like you giving me a bunch of names and just being like, yeah, he in the gang. Yeah, he in the gang. Yeah, he did that. Like I can't like keep up my interest in it, but so much like I got the general idea from the first thread that I saw come up a couple days ago, which is, oh, he's snitching for real. Like he's made that call. And what seems to me to be the most interesting about it, and I guess I'm having to make a certain measure of assumption about this because all I'm doing is reading the transcript. Um, he don't seem to really be having like no compunction about this at all. Like he just doing it. You know, like like in the movies and stuff like that, when them cats get up there and start snitching, you know, they start looking around and acting all nervous and like pulling on their collar because they seem to be really either conflicted by the morality of the snitching or, you know, dealing with the reality that you or your people might get snuffed for this. And this dude apparently just up there like, what you want to know? I got you. I'll let you know anything. And see, I don't really like I know of him as being like this kind of ridiculous construction. Like I don't like I've heard that one song with the one that started with a G like I've heard that song, but I'm just kind of out of the world and out of the zone to be like keeping up with a cat like that. I ain't like, yeah, gummo. Yeah. Like I ain't like, I'm not listening to his music. That's not really the place that I'm in right now. So like, he really doesn't mean anything to me. I got no gauge on how popular he is. Like I know he is known because of internet stuff, but like, I don't know who his fans are. Like I hear him, so you know, all the, I mean, obviously stuff about the gang and everything else. Like I hear p- people talking about it, but I don't have, like, I got no like hands on appreciation for it. 
So I can't really keep up with this or pay it with so much attention. However, based on everything I thought I understood about the way these things work, um, man, this seems to be a violation of all kinds of uh, treatises, you know, established norms, mores, if you will. Seems to be a, 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 a flagrant disrespect for that which you once claimed to represent. And, and, and. Sounds like it might be a little bit hazardous. But I have no idea who this dude is. Like, I don't care, you know? So, y'all just gonna have to let me know a little bit of it. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. Is Miles Davis one of the few, if not the only artists we can say had more than one classic period? I don't know why y'all be stepping over yourselves asking these old long-winded uh, comma-filled questions. What you're asking is if Miles Davis is the only person we can say had more than one classic period. And I would say the answer to that is no, he's not the only. Um, I would argue that Stevie Wonder had two classic periods. I would argue that James Brown had two classic periods. They just kind of came back to back. So you don't really think about it like that. But Stevie has a classic period that's still part of the Motown machine. Like, go check the last two or three Stevie albums that come out on the Motown machine before you get into, like, the self-Stevie era. And so I think you can make an argument that where I'm coming from is a wee bit of an overrated record, though it does denote the beginning of where things are going. But from music of my mind to songs in the key of life, like, okay, that's, that's pretty strong, right? I'd say those are two distinct periods. There's the James Brown soul era and the James Brown funk era. Those are two distinct periods um, in the movement of his catalog. So he is certainly on that list. The Rolling Stones become interesting. Because you've got like a classic era tail end of the life of Brian Jones and then the Mick Taylor era, which I think is like start to finish a classic era. Um, but they, it's hard not to argue. It's hard to argue that those are not two different eras, given that the leader of the band left on the first one, at least the original leader before, you know, he kind of lost his own band. Happens. Learn to write songs, buddy. Um, anything we got anybody else we can say that, you know. Yeah. I, you got more people. If you just wanted to say Miles Davis is dope, yeah, you're right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Trying to find this question. That's an interesting one. Uh, that apparently somebody must have upvoted it while I was scrolling through this. Yeah, here we go. You've shared a few times on the right time that you aren't this black revolutionary that some folks make you out to be. You still built a brand on using your voice well. Uh, how do you find the balance? What are we balancing here, though? Right? Like, if the idea is that somehow something is being balanced, I'm not exactly sure what the things are that we're arguing here are being balanced, because... I'm kind of giving you me regardless of what it is. See, the point that I make about not like being this like super black revolutionary that people make me out to be is actually a pretty simple one, which is, dude, I'm out here taking this Disney money. Right? Like this is not like that is not that is not a particularly revolutionary action, right? Like I there are levels of this American capitalism that I could like reject and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I make a lot of money, right? 
like like I I'm very clear about not positioning myself as being like some uh supremely revolutionary bid just because there's certain actions that are directly in front of you that I don't have an argument for. And I'm like, not by the way, not that I'm necessarily trying to argue against those things or have a measure of guilt about it. I just do look, I know some for real live revolutionaries. I've met some. I could tell you some stories, right? I am not those dudes. And I'm not saying that like I'm not those dudes as a rejection of them. I'm saying that there's like on some levels, there's a certain level of heart that those cats have. Maybe I grew up a little bit too good. I don't know. But I ain't got it in me like some cats that's out here got it in them. And one thing I do think that this Internet does is it let a whole lot of people talk that body body, but they ain't never going to be no rubber meet the road situation. Right. I don't exist in that space. Y'all know me. Y'all come checking for receipts. Like, I come out here and start lying about that stuff. Y'all going to be like, oh, you don't talk to all that shit, da-da-da, but you da-da-da. So, like, like, as a result, there's a level of that shit that I'm just not about to be out here talking because it's got a job up with, like, what my overall in total uh, situation is, right? Now, I've got some, like, pretty clear intellectual and, like, moral things that I think and believe and that I give you, but there ain't really nothing, like, truly for me to balance. I'm kind of operating on fact as best as I possibly can and then riding it out from there. I don't know. You know? But, yeah, this ain't – I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like, waking up every day just like, yo, how, how, how do I bring my uh, W.E.B. Du Bois dual consciousness with me to work? No, I'm not that's – not, that's not – like, for me, at least, it's not how I do it. That's not that's not that isn't the way that I consider any of these things, like at least not enough. That's that's not it. Like, yo, I tell you this, though, what I do know is I know what ain't worth it. That's the biggest thing here. Like, you got to look around if you're going to work in the in the line of work that I'm in, no matter who you are. Right. No matter what your situation is, you got to have a real good gauge of this is not worth it. Right. Like if you can't if you can't see what's in front of you and realize, oh no, 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 this one ain't worth it. Like one thing I try to be very transparent about, and I've talked about this in this platform on other ones, I'll be very clear with you when it is that I am looking out for my money or whatever it is, and therefore I am not going to say something on the matter. I don't really have any reason to lie to you about those things. You know why? Because I am a human being, and as a result, there are some times that I'm gonna have to look out for number one. That's what it's gonna be. The thing is, there's a whole lot of people out here who will put it for you as if they are never doing such a thing, that everything that they are doing is magnanimous. And they are, you know, like, I, I say, um, you know, no matter. No, 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 no. I'm making some, I'm making some, I'm, I mean, I'll make some decisions, right? But it ain't no conscious, it ain't no everyday wake up, figure out how to get in between it. Nope. Somebody asks a question, come up with the best answer, right? The one that communicates most clearly and is increasing the likelihood long term of the value and the strength of the words that come out of my mouth. And that's it. And knowing what ain't worth it. Yeah, man, I said he respect me saying I ain't touching that. Yeah, you damn right, I'm going to tell you I ain't going to touch it, right? Like, I think what happens with a lot of people in those situations is they don't want to look like they're trying not to touch it, so they try to give some diplomatic sort of answer. But sometimes you look at it, and there is no circle that you can talk around on it. You were like, oh, you know, and nah, man, I'm just not doing this. No, sir, Bob, man, I look at you like the like them people in them, uh, in them, in, the, in like on Law and Order, the ones that just ain't talking to the cops. Like, you can't make me, you can't make me do this. Appreciate the question. Next one, you really still out here helping the people? 
uh nc lost the nyc on that note how often does someone highlight you in nyc for help before they realize that you are famous so i guess somebody must have told this story on the radio um but this is actually really funny so i was uh, i got off the train and i'm leaving out i'm um, going to work and i come around this corner and this dude is like hey man um I am so glad to see you. And like in a real sincere sort of way, like he knew me or something. And I didn't think he knew me, but, you know, I was in a fairly decent mood. So I was going into, you know, it's your chance to meet your favorite television star moment. Right. Like, I don't know. You know, when it kind of went in that mode. And I walked up to him, he stuck his hand, I shook his hand. I was like, hey, man, how are you? And he goes, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. And I just can't figure out how to get to the train to go to Times Square. Right. So I direct him around the station, you know, tell him where it is that he needs to go. Um, and he said he appreciated. He said he knew some people. You know, we got some, we got some mutual friends. So we talked about that for a little bit. And I wound up going on about my business. But what made it funny was, like, he told me, he was like, yo, you know, in New York, I, New York can intimidate people in that way. Like, he really wasn't in that. I don't think he was in nearly as bad a situation as he thought he was. Like, I promise I wasn't the only person that could have done this for him. But if you were, like, not from New York. The idea of asking somebody for help, I understand, is kind of unsettling because you're going to have the assumption that people are just too busy for it. But New Yorkers are actually very helpful. Like if you are in a train station and you don't know where you're going and you ask somebody to help, you know, to help them out, people overwhelmingly will do that. Like this, this isn't a place that really should intimidate people like that. But anyway, imagine being this dude and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't figure out how to get where I'm going. It sure would be nice if somebody could help me. And it would probably be extra cool if it was a familiar face. And then next thing you know, around the corner comes Bomani Jones from the television. Like, that's kind of a story. Like, that's a story that I would tell if I were that person. And I happened to, like, even if I didn't like me on television, that would be a story that I would tell. Like if it, if it if it went it that way, it's like a pretty fascinating like what are the odds sort of situation. As for the question, how often do people ask me for help before they realize you're famous? You got to realize something about me. I ain't sticking around long enough generally for you to do the math on it. You're gonna figure that out a few steps away. But I, I can't think of a time that somebody's like asked me for something and I've answered, and then they were like, "Oh my god, you Bomani Jones!" Like the 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 "Oh my god, you Bomani Jones" thing that happens but not really under that uh, particular chain of circumstances. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Have you ever had your own sorry to this man moment where you completely failed to recognize someone you probably should have known? That is a good question. Actually, I have one from when I was three years old. I was three or four. I know I was either three or four. So, yeah, we taking it back way back. And again, I want to reiterate, I was three or four. So I'm with my dad and we went to the bank. And we're in the bank. And then my dad out of nowhere points and goes, hey, that's Hank Aaron. But no one had gotten around yet to telling me who this Hank Aaron was. It meant absolutely nothing to me at that time when he said, there's Hank Aaron. 
So I say sorry to this man in that moment. Fast forward to the year 2010. We booked an interview on the Morning Jones with Hank Aaron. And I'm so excited because I finally get to fix this situation. And I get to talk to Hank Aaron. And the connection was so bad that we couldn't do the interview. I mean, that's a bummer. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is a serious, serious, serious bummer. I'm trying to think. I got any other, any other time where it was just like, I had no idea. Like, not quite in that type of situation. I have some kind of stories like that, but one of them, one of them is for the memoirs. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Did you used to be more radical before you got your money? No. Like, I don't really have a lot. Like, I don't have a lot of views that have changed. Like, I'm 39 now. If you ask me my views on stuff from when I was 30 versus 39, they're largely the same. Some things are now more informed by different experiences that are giving me a broader perspective on some matters. But I don't know. Nah, I really don't think that that uh, sort of thing has changed. What I, what has happened, though, is that my judgment has gotten a lot better. Knowing what's worth it has gotten a lot better. Appreciate the question. See what we got here. No one told this guy who got fired from Saturday Night Live he could lie and kick it. Why is it so hard for some public figures to say they are sorry without qualification? Um, so if you ain't seen this, this white dude, like, I mean, he he and I, he, and has, he has to say he's a white dude, right? And he was kind of wilding out um, on some comedy podcasts back in the day, making references to Asians by the term that they really, really, really don't like, among other things, I guess. Um and so it was awful for, I mean, not to say awful for Saturday Night Live because that, that's not, that sounds in a way that I, I think that sounds in a way that I don't intend. Um, basically, on the day that Saturday Night Live announces their first Asian cast member, they also announced this dude who's been like slurring Asians as comedy. Yeah, yeah, bad play for Saturday Night Live. And I saw a report today that said that part of how that guy wound up making it on Saturday Night Live is that they were getting, they, basically they were trying to get around the blowback or the idea that they were um, too liberal, right? And so with Trump 2020, all this, they need to get somebody that would appeal more to what they term to be conservatives. Like that's the way that they put it. And so the dude got canned. And then he put out a statement that was just, I mean, see, what gets me about this dude is that he thinks there's something edgy and dangerous about like using racial slurs in your comedy. And it's, it's not dog. Like it's really, really not like, I just got done reading this book about Peter Tosh. And so the thing about reading this Tosh book that is interesting to me or was interesting to me was it put me way more in touch with just how counterculture, both being a Rasta and like smoking weed was in Jamaica at that time. And what truly revolutionary acts 
Toss was engaging in by recording this music, by performing this music, and just kind of like the way that he was kicking it. And so, like, I can listen to a song like Bush Doctor, which is kind of hilarious, right? If you, you know, um, there'll be no, but he's about if they legalize marijuana in Jamaica, there'll be no more uh, smoking and feeling tense. When I see them, I won't have to jump no fence. Like, that is hilarious. There'll be no need to smoke and hide when you're taking a legal ride. Like, it is hilarious, right? Except what nothing, what no jokes. What no jokes about it. Right? Like, that shit was real in the field down there. Okay? Like, that is like producing dangerous and risky content, like the stuff that made the cops run up on you, stuff that made the government check up on you, you know, what's coming up behind you. Like that is doing something that is like truly risky and dangerous, right? Like slurring people with less power than you. There's nothing really edgy and dangerous about that. And if there was something edgy or risky or dangerous about that, you would have never got as far as you did all the way up to the level of Saturday Night Live because all the dangers would have come and swallowed you up by then. You know, so he put out this, and what I found like really bizarre about his statement after he didn't, after he got let go of the job was basically, I was funny. He said, I was funny enough to make it to SNL and nobody can take that away from me. What? Like, this is entirely about your ego. Like, this is beyond, and I understand like the kind of sociopathic nature of comedians. And that they don't take a lot personally and whatever's funny is funny. That's the way a lot of them see the world. Like, I get all of that, right? But that wasn't what this was about. That wasn't defiance in this way. That was, hey, I'm good enough to be on Saturday Night Live. And that's all that matters. That's it. I guess, buddy. I guess. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Why do you think metal detectors in black schools was solution to gun violence in the nineties, but not a solution in white schools now? Um, okay. So, so like, Okay. Now, I am not saying that the metal detectors in black schools were necessarily appropriate. I'm not saying that metal detectors in white schools now are not appropriate. I'm not saying that. This is what I'm saying. We are operating on generalizations in this discussion, right? That we acknowledge that off jump, that there's a measure of generalization that was happening here. And you have in your mind like a general idea of what this black school looks like. And you have a general idea in your mind of what this white school looks like, right? You also have in your mind a general idea of what the violence is that you think the metal detector is stopping at the black school, right? 
Because basically the idea, if you think metal detectors are going to solve the problem in that school, it's basically because you're just trying to stop people from possessing guns. Like, hey, you're trying to get in with a gun. We're going to stop you from getting in with the gun. Not necessarily because you plan to shoot somebody, but you might have the gun with you. And then what do you know? You might decide to shoot somebody. Gun might fall out your pocket, whatever it is. But we just can't have you in here just packing. We can't have that. Like, that's what they're trying to stop is people packing, right? We all understand that, okay? The idea of violence that you have in your mind at that white school, I just simply want to point out, a metal detector is not going to solve that. Like, it's not like the metal detector has a force field, right? It's not like if you walk through that metal detector with that thing, all of a sudden, bzz, 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 you're going to get hit by some sort of electrical strike, and then you're going to drop that thing right then, and it's not going to let you in, right? That's not how that works. I just need you to understand that if somebody were to make the counter-argument as to why they don't need the metal detector, the kinds of shootings that you are trying to prevent, a metal detector is not going to do the job. Like, the metal detector is not going to solve that problem. It will not. Like, you're looking for a solution on these things, man. We're looking for a lot of, like, like surface-level stuff. The metal detector is not going to do the job. And, yes, I did see that PSA ad, whatever you want to call it. And, man, that was a lot. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. By the way, y'all like how I handled that last one, don't you? Now, if you want to talk about balance, that one right there, that, that was some balancing. But you see how I did that, though, right? I will sit here and wait as long as it takes until I figure out how to do it. <laughs> I ain't in no hurry. I am not in a hurry. I'm like, okay, what I believe here is actually very simple and perfectly defensible thing to say. But get one word wrong, and we got a problem. But you know what I was thinking the whole time as I was trying to figure out how to do it? Don't worry. Because it ain't worth it. If I had to shut it down, just got to shut it down. Wasn't going to lose it over this. No. Because what we was talking about is the generalizations that you're making. And I am speaking to what you're thinking. All right. That's it. You mentioned you are not religious. Did you grow up in a religious household? And if so, why slash how did you move away from it? I'm not religious and I did not grow up in a religious household. And that is the answer to your question right there. Just never got just, just never got into that. Didn't happen. You know. Hope it works out for y'all though. As time has gone on, I've learned. Um, like I got some intellectual thoughts about religion. I got some personal feelings about religion. Um, but one thing I'm not that concerned with is changing any of your minds about it. 
So I'll kind of live and let live about that stuff. I got a better understanding of people than I used to. Things that draw them into whatever, pull them away from whatever, you know, however it is. We all go about these things in different ways, baby. I respect how you get down. As long as you'll get down, ain't out here hurting people. Small problem is there is a lot of room within a lot of them religions for people to get hurt. Just a thought. Let me see what else we got here. Y'all asked me about Sean King and DeRay. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I know you've praised it a lot in the past, but can you talk about why you love the warmth of other suns so much? I found it somewhat overrated and obvious. And like I say, you might be the most well-read, informed motherfucker on planet Earth if you found it to be obvious. Um, I can't. I don't know what to say to you about the fact it was overrated. I thought it was a very well done, and it was considering that it's basically like a history text. It was written with an unparalleled beauty. Um, the humanity of her subjects came through so richly. And I thought that the use of those three people was so brilliant in a way to tell a story of people moving all over this country and, you know, kind of summing up a very important and underreported era in American history. Now, I do have one complaint um, about that book, which is. It's kind of hard to tell a story about to tell these great migration stories that take you to New York, that take you to Chicago and take you to L.A. And there's no like. There was no look at gang life like the closest you got to it was um, kind of the it was kind of a scornful tone that's used toward the end of the book. We're talking about Ida May. Um, and the gang, you know, and the gang members in her neighborhood and all the hell they're causing outside and stuff like that. And um, as I understand it, Wilkerson was like the best path to sell this book was by telling kind of the stories of achievers, you know, kind of bootstrap element of things like that was that was the way to the way to do it. But I do think that gang life in L.A. and Chicago, like these people leaving their homes you know, leaving their families, leaving everything they know, and then winding up in these far off lands and then searching for community and finding community in these organizations that become like what we know to be gangs now is a significant part of the story of the Great Migration. Now, I also but again, I get how that didn't fall in line with the larger narrative that she was kind of telling and the people that she ultimately chose to focus the book around. But that is one place where I think that it's lacking. Um, but not in a way that takes away from like the brilliance of the rest of it. So yeah, I don't know. Like what? Like when you say obvious, like what do you what what did you think was obvious? Like it's not like the book is presenting an argument. I guess the argument you could say is being presented is like the the success of the people who completed the migration. I guess is an argument that you know, but. Yeah, like I, I guess I have no idea what you think is was obvious that like what do you? Yeah, you're allowed to say overrated. I think the obvious part. Trying not to call people stupid. I'm working on it. Y'all keep asking me about who I like in this presidential election. Like one of us has lost our minds. Come on now. 
Like, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, just let you know, this is how I've always done it. I don't think this is necessarily going to be a problem even now, but this is how I've always done it. Like, we can laugh at the funny stuff that goes on, like, around these elections, but I ain't really giving you opinions on that stuff at this point. It is not worth it, all right? For me, personally, it is just not worth it. Like, we talk about corn pop. The corn pop, shocked me to death to find out the corn pop actually existed. All right, you can get to the substance of what he was talking about and all that on a different day. I was just stunned to find out that corn pop actually existed, which read the, the it made me ask the question, how long they've been making corn pops? Let me look that up now. Somehow I thought corn pops were a little bit more recent. Apparently they've been making corn pops for the longest. Let's find out when the, I'm sure there's a wiki page for the corn pop. All right, here we go. Uh, wow. They started selling corn pops in 1951. Who knew? Also, got to say, I don't know if I've ever had corn pops or the last time I had corn pops. But that isn't the most appetizing name you could have uh, for cereal. Just a thought. I'll make my mouth water. But yeah, this this hadn't been so funny. The problem is, like, the funniest run of like debates and stuff like that, without question, was the 2016 Republican when they had a zillion people up there on the stage. Like that stuff was like kind of hilarious. And then it wasn't. Like, like it stopped being funny. Like, like all at once. It was like, yo, 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 the jokes have ceased. No, no room for that. No room for that. And you know what? I ain't really been able to find that many jokes ever since. Oh, do we have anything else? Somebody asking here. I'll answer this. What's the most common misconception you've had to dispel about HBCUs? White folks think that they ain't allowed to get in. That's the big one all the time. Are white people allowed to go? Where are white people not allowed to go? Anybody? Can one of y'all answer to me what this place is that white people ain't allowed to go to? Now, let me know. Like, like I'll give it a second. Somebody put on their jail. Oh, no, 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 no. Wife, wife folks deep in jail. Don't, don't, don't get that twisted at all. Excuse me, Mr. White Man. You're not allowed to get into this college. Think about, think how, how does that even sound? Sorry to talk about, do you think the oil field fire will benefit the USA in oil sales? Man, I don't know. I said a black cookout in the hood. What what are you talking about? Hey people, what is I just wish somebody All right, I'm gonna scan through this one more time, see if I got a question. Cause man, I'm trying to I don't wanna. Whoa, hold on. DJ Premier announced a Gangstar album today with what looks like Nas as the lead MC. Is there any another rapper you would have rather seen take Guru Spot? Is this true? Because if this is true, this is interesting, but here's the only thing about it. 
Nas and Guru don't really have anything in common. Like, I've been hard on Guru over the years. Rest in peace, though. He was the first artist I ever interviewed. True story. Um, but I've come to appreciate him more over the years than I did before. But, like, if it's Nas over a bunch of primo beats, just call it Nas over a bunch of primo beats. Like, it's hard for me to think of that as gang star. Like, if that's what it is, right? But that isn't, that's not a gang star album. I don't know who I would, like, want to put on there that, that I think could, like, I would think of as somebody to make a gang star album. Like, I love Freddie Fox, but a Freddie Fox album with Primo is not a gang star album. And somebody said, like, CL Smooth. No, that's not, that's not gang star either. Okay, it's previously recorded Guru vocals. All right, cool, I'm down to hear it. And you know why I'm down to hear it? Because if it ain't hot, Primo ain't putting it out. That's the thing. Somebody said Black Thought. Yes, because Black Thought could give you 16 tracks that sound just like Guru. Right? Like, they would sound just like Guru. Because he can do just about any MC flawlessly. As well as, of course, doing himself. Dude said Guru is not a good rapper. Ah, that's not true. I have found Guru over the years to be an overrated rapper. But, I mean, you go back and listen to Daily Operation, Hard to Earn, a Moment of Truth. I would not say that that dude was not a good rapper. No. But, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. Try to do this thing once every week or two, something like that. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember, if you cannot watch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store, subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. All right, talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.